Hello and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Sharon Hyder, AVP of Enterprise Information Management at NYC Health and Hospitals. In this episode, Sharon dives deep into his insights around data management and analytics for better healthcare outcomes, the importance of centralizing patient data and establishing trust. And he poses the question, how can we make a real meaningful impact for end users? So please enjoy this interview between Sharon Hyder and your host, Steve Hamm. Do you want to learn how the Snowflake Data Cloud can take your company and your career to new frontiers? From August 3rd to October 30th, the Data Cloud World Tour is making 26 stops around the globe to share how to use and collaborate with data in unimaginable ways. Hear from fellow data, tech, and business leaders and get the latest on generative AI and innovations at Snowflake at an event near you. Learn more and register at snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour. Sharon, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Great to be here, Steve. Yeah. Now, New York City Health and Hospitals is the largest municipal healthcare system in the nation. It's got 11 hospitals, 30 neighborhood clinics, serves more than 1 million patients per year. Please give us the big picture. Describe the wide array of services the system provides and the array of data it collects and it uses. Yeah. So as you can imagine, Steve, just by the fact that it's the largest public healthcare system in the U.S., uh, there's so many different facets of complexity in terms of the different services, the data that, it, that we have to collect to make sure that we're providing the right services for our patients. But just to kind of take a step back or maybe expand a little bit on what you said, so it is the largest public healthcare system. It consists of like 11 acute care hospitals. Mm-hmm. And there's 70 care delivery locations across the five boroughs of New York, serve more than a million patients. And, uh, and we also have uh, skilled nursing facilities and post-acute care and long-term care uh, organizations and entities as well. So the, the biggest thing, the most important thing to take away uh, from the services and the scope of what we deliver at New York City Health and Hospitals is that we are treating patients regardless of their ability to pay. So that's a wide variety of different people with different complex healthcare conditions, um, you know, some very low income. And so as you can imagine, you know, the types of treatments that we have to provide, what we have to deal with from an insurance and payment perspective is very, very complex and complicated. Um, and then, and then the, the services that we offer from an emergency medicine standpoint, these are people that may end up in the ER more than they should have otherwise because they don't, they're actually not getting the care that they deserve uh, in a regular situation. So, so those are the complexities that we have to deal with from a care delivery perspective or from a data collection standpoint, uh, each of these different entities that are part of the New York City Health and Hospital ecosystem uh, collect data pretty consistently from a clinical standpoint, but still there's, there's, there's a process of coordination and getting data in the right way at the right time. Uh, you know, there's these, you know, with, with COVID, you know, happening three years ago, uh, we actually moved a lot to uh, virtual express care and telehealth systems. So we have data coming from those, those, those different uh, devices and those different uh, setups. And then finally, we also have, uh, we have the ability to, uh, you know, collect data from partners that we're working with the various city agencies to so work with Department of Health, Department of Housing, 
uh, Department of Social Services, et cetera. So it's not just New York City health and hospitals, but it's all the different partners that we work with to make sure that we can collect data from all those different places. You're really taking a systematic view of, of all the things that touch on health. That's, that's great. Hey, I wonder, you know, social determinants of health are being recognized mm-hmm. as such a major factor in public health and in, and in public health care delivery. Are you starting to collect that kind of data as well? We do. We do. So uh, as, I, as I mentioned, uh, one of the biggest parts of our population is this lower income yeah. uh, population that we work with. And, you know, what's been shown through research on, you know, from multiple studies is that lifestyle factors and the social situation of an individual has about 70 to 80 percent impact on that individual's health. Right. compared to other things like the actual diseases that they have and genetic conditions and what you know whatever other medical issues they may be experiencing so you know social factors and collecting the data around um their income uh you know where what kind of food they're getting how they're getting it the access to transportation legal assistance housing etc these are things that make a huge impact on a person's healthcare situation. So we work yeah. with Department of Social Services, we work with the housing agencies, we work with various other city agencies to, you know, collect the data and see like how can we comprehensively provide like a, a holistic uh, you know care delivery method, you know, to people where it's not just about making sure that we're treating them for their healthcare condition, but we're also trying to help them from a from a lifestyle perspective as well whenever possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes total sense. Mhm. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually. A, I'm a freelance writer. I'm, I'm actually doing a piece for Yale Medicine Magazine right right now about obesity, and you know, just learning how things are all connected. I mean, all all of these elements. I mean, poverty, race, transportation, housing. You know, air air quality. You know, all these things right. are all all kind right. of woven in together. And then mm-hmm. plus a giant processed food industry on top of it all. You know. So, so many, so many factors involved and it just, what you guys are doing is just a tremendous example of how data analytics can really penetrate or, or encompass really big complex problems. So I think I really am looking forward to where we go next in our conversation, because I, I, I think this is really kind of the tip of the spear on taking on huge complex problems in, in, in society. I understand that the organization is in the process of developing and launching a major data management and analytics strategy. So mm-hmm. kind of tell, tell us about that. You know, where, where does it come from? What are you doing? How is it taking shape? Yeah. Uh, happy to tell you more about that. So um, maybe I'll give you a little bit of history uh, around the organization and, um, you know, where all this change started happening. So about three years ago, right before the pandemic started, uh, the office of the chief data officer was created. It was um, it was uh, led and started by an individual called Alexander Izagiri, uh, who was our chief data officer at the t- time, our first chief data officer at New York City Health, Health and Hospitals. And uh, initially, the thinking was that there needed to be more trust around the data, and people needed to look at the same information in a report from that was being produced by one part of the organization compared to another part of the organization that was creating the same report or data. And so there was really a focus on initially on data governance 
which is um, the part of data and analytics that is uh, the least exciting stuff that yeah. people want to talk about. But it's one of the most important things because at the end of the day, if you can't have trust on the data that you're using, basically you don't know whether it's right or wrong, then that creates huge problems for the organization. So that's kind of where it started um, with a focus on that. But very quickly, you know, we, we recognized that it wasn't just about uh, making sure that the data was right. That's one part of it. So I'll tell you about the, the strategic parties and approaches and all of that that we have. But, uh, you know, there, there, was, there was an understanding after lots and lots of conversations with various stakeholders, stakeholders across the organization that people need data in different ways. You know, you've got the executive sponsors, the decision makers, the senior leaders in the organization that need to be able to make quick decisions and they need to be able to find the information that they need to understand how their business operations are running. Are we delivering the right quality of care? Are patients satisfied? you know, with the care that they're getting? How are our doctors performing? Operationally, are we as efficient as possible when we are staffing up and providing care to our patients and so on and so forth? So, you know, that led to us sort of putting together a framework and and this, uh, a a lot of this, if not most of this was pioneered by our chief data officer um, that was leading the organization three years ago. And uh, so we came up with the principles of uh, data integrity, which is making sure that we have trust in the data. Uh, We wanted to make sure that we had an understanding and alignment of different analytics and data solutions based on the need of various customers. So this is kind of taking a really product-oriented mindset and customer-focused mindset for data and analytics, which having been in the industry for more than 20 years right now, uh, I haven't necessarily noticed a lot of data and analytics teams do that, like focus on data and analytics as something that you would go out and sell on the market. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you do that, then you have to think about who you're selling it to, right? Who are you providing it to? Like there's different tiers of products, basically. We have to have different data analytics products for different people. Um, So the sponsors I mentioned, the decision makers, there's also data champions, the people that actually use the data, you know, to do different things such as, you know, someone's trying to analyze, um, you know, what are the top reasons that people are coming into the hospital? You know, they've got data skills and data tools that they use, but again, they need to have a way to get to the right data really quickly. They need to be able to have the right tools to transform that data into insights that people can take actions on, and they need to be able to do it quickly. And then there's the data sort of citizens, the people that um, are just consumers of the data. And we're all consumers of the data, right? We, we all look at information every single day to make decisions, whether it's things like, hey, how is the weather going to be today? So I should know whether to put on my raincoat or whether I need to you know, carry my you know, sunglasses outside because it's super sunny or whatever, things like that. Uh, we, have to, we have to create data analytics, you know, for the different consumers. So, so the data, data analytics strategy uh, that, you, that you mentioned, where are we in that? So a lot of great progress has been made in defining uh, the audience, defining the principles of um, having data integrity, which means that we have to we have to get data together in one place, have governance, have the control mechanisms, you know, have a quality framework. And then the third aspect is really around education or data literacy. So it's not good enough 
for just one part of the organization that includes data and analytics experts to be able to um, you know, create insights and create reports and dashboards and other things that people need in order to run their business and operations and drive healthcare improvements. Uh, we actually have to teach and educate others in the organization to understand, hey, what is this type of chart that we're looking at, whether it's a bar chart or a line chart or something called a chloropreth chart that uses a variety of different colors to represent different aspects of data, like how do you really interpret it? So we also started a data literacy program around that. So from a strategy standpoint, what I would say is we've made great progress in having the tools and technology in place to build out an enterprise data platform. We've got a strategy to deal, uh, deliver different solutions to our different stakeholders. And then we've, get, we've made great progress in creating a data literacy program, right. uh, which has actually uh, been recognized in the industry in multiple through multiple venues like Gartner events and Snowflake events as being best in class. So oh, cool. that's a little update on where we are in the strategy. No, that makes total sense. It sounds really interesting. Question though, I mean, is part of this or, or kind of like the high level, highest level idea centralizing data and sharing data more? Is that kind of the drive that's going on here? That, that, that is a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, so the centralized data is, is basically the part where I mentioned about using an enterprise data platform yeah. where uh, like any organization, we have data coming from various different systems with data coming from yeah. clinical systems like Epic, data from financial systems uh, like PeopleSoft, HR data, we have external data coming from various partners like the pairs. Uh, we get data from, um, we touched on like uh, Department of Social Services, Department of Health, et cetera. And so all these different sources of data, but if we expect people across the organization to go to different places to get that information, it's challenging, number one. They're using different technologies. And then also like who is responsible for creating the trust? It's easier to create the trust in one centralized location versus trying to do it across the board on many different systems. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. that is a big, big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Now, your CDO, the original one who kind of hatched this big strategy, has moved on. Mm -hmm. You're, mm -hmm. You were brought in, I believe, under that person. So kind of what's, what's, the, what's the status of managing this thing and what's your role in it? Sure. Uh, so my role, uh, and I think I may have mentioned at the beginning, so uh, is, uh, you know, the official title is AVP of Enterprise Information Management. And my team's responsibility is to build out this enterprise data platform. Right. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different layers underneath it, but basically the way that I would characterize that uh, responsibility or the overall product that we're building is we're building in a, a foundation for the enterprise to do different things with data, one of which is analytics. Mm -hmm. um, the other part is data sharing, as you mentioned, and data sharing both in and outside the organization. So it's not just let's bring in data and make sure that everyone at H&H &H can get it, but it's also how do we get data from external partners um, quickly and efficiently and have them share their data with us. And then when they need data from H and H that we have an ability to share that back with them really right. quickly. So think about it like Google docs for enterprise data. Uh, so, so my role is, um, you know, as the leader of the enterprise information management team is to build out this enterprise data platform 
work with various stakeholders across the organization to make sure that the analytics that they need can be built from this data platform as quickly as possible. So that's, that's you know, something that is very key to our strategy, being able to produce insights and data really, really quickly. And it has to be fit for purpose, meaning that, you know, if it's for the executives, it's one type of information. If it's for the data champions that get gotcha. hands on in the data, that's, that's a different type of uh, information and a different type of capability. So that's really a demonstration that your strategy and your platform are working already, essentially. They are, yeah, yeah. We've been up and up and running on the data platform, uh, which is uh, which is built on Snowflake. Like I said, I came in last year, uh, but it was up and running prior to that. But it's been gaining more and more steam now oh, I see. I across see. the organization because you know the data platform is only useful uh, if there's data in there. And so when we started, there was less. Now there's a lot more. Uh, we've got more than 20 uh, billion rows of data across various facets of patient and provider and labs and medication and coverage information, for example, and starting to get used more and more. But that literacy aspect and education aspect mm -hmm. is key to make sure people can actually understand what's in there, know where to find it and how to find it. Yeah. Now, most of your career has been in the healthcare industry. You've either been managing information within the big organizations or consulting for them. Why did you focus your career on healthcare, and how do the experiences you've had in those previous jobs help you deal with today's challenges at NYC H and H? So I didn't choose healthcare on purpose, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll I'll go back I'll go back and talk about how I ended up getting in there. So I started out my career in consulting um, and specifically working with CRM technologies. So mm. the tech the tech that I used to work with was Siebel which is the precursor of Salesforce, Salesforce. I remember CRM. it, yeah. Do you? Okay. Seems Back like the, the dark day. ages, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time flies and thinking about how we did things that at that time yeah. versus now, it's, you know, light years difference. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, but I, I started there. I didn't start out in data analytics per se. I started in enterprise applications development right. and I was leading, right. I was designing solutions for uh, clients like Lexmark, manufacturing company, clients like um, uh, Verizon, Telecom, uh, New York Times, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but along the way, I think about probably four or five years into my career, I ended up uh, working on a project with, still in consulting. I, I did consulting for the first 10 years of my career. Um, I did a project uh, for United Healthcare. And uh, mm -hmm. that project was actually around the consumer-facing um, website uh, to present healthcare benefits um, to 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 patients and and uh, members of United Healthcare Insurance plans. Uh, mm -hmm. So started started with that. Then I you know ended up doing other projects like building out a medical national operations center for uh, for the chief medical officer, the the COO. Uh, various senior clinical leaders across the enterprise, so they could think like they could see things like patient census, who's who's actually in the hospital at any given point in time, uh, what are the quality and efficiency metrics for physicians uh, providing those services, what are the healthcare um, you know satisfaction scores and quality scores you know in terms of things like HEDIS and CAPS, which are industry standards for quality reporting in healthcare. Uh, so it was building out all that stuff. And then kind of fast forward, 
I think 10 years into it, I, um, I had an opportunity to join the Payment Integrity Organization in, uh, in United Health Group, actually Optum, which is the services division of Optum, uh, sorry, United Health Group. And, um, and I was leading the uh, analytics group there specifically for anti-fraud waste and abuse operations. Right, right. So, so the point is, like, I started finding myself uh, by accident in some ways. Like, when you're in consulting, you go where the projects are. Uh, but I started developing a, a, a skill set and an understanding of, like, like why healthcare data was, was so important and what you needed to do with it for greater impact across the organization. And I think that's why I ended up in healthcare. Interesting story. Uh, you know, my, my father, uh, I come from Bangladesh. I was born and brought up in Bangladesh. Right. And uh, he was one of the pioneers in helping build up the computer industry in Bangladesh, like two of the earliest organizations uh, for computer information development in Bangladesh were started by him. And then my mother is a doctor, uh, oh, and she's been in that space for several years. Uh, she's a scientist. She used to work with uh, the uh, International Center for Diarrheal Diseases Research um, and she was also a, a leader in the World Health Organization, um, you know, established in Delhi. So I think of myself as having ended up at the intersection of what my mom and dad did. And, yeah, you, uh, you've synthesized <laughs> your parents. That's great. <laughs> I think I have. I think I have. But the reason, but the reason I, I continue to stick with healthcare is because it's something that affects all of us. Um, you know, we we all need it. I think we would all say the same thing that our system of healthcare in the U.S. could be better in so many different ways, like finding a doctor, knowing how much things will cost before you actually end up going to the doctor and your insurance pays the claims, knowing that the that you're going to the doctor and being treated preventatively and proactively before you get sick. Like, how do we do those things better as a, as a country, as, a, as an industry? I think we have a long ways to go to solve that problem. But at the, at the center of it all is data and analytics. Without having the right information and without having the right sort of frameworks of turning that information into something that people can actually act on, um, I, I think we have a huge missed opportunity and essentially it leads to life and death situations. So yeah. I think that's the reason I keep working in healthcare. Yeah, I think the the life and death thing is obviously preeminent. But you also think about the efficiency, the sustainability. I mean, we mm -hmm. in the United States, we spend so much on healthcare yet our outcomes are not very good. And right. it seems like IT really can play a role in in turning that around. Hopefully. Yeah, huge huge um I think huge impact. I think whenever and it it you know, you know, there's so much opportunity. Overall, I'm an optimist. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I, that's why I continue to play in this space. Uh, but frankly, there is so much opportunity. And a lot of times there's a, you know, a lot of frustration. I personally get frustrated looking at the ways that we just do things. And I'm not talking about really sophisticated stuff like being able to predict when a patient, when a patient is going to get sick and proactively providing, you know, treatment an intervention, uh, you know, recommendations, nothing like yeah. that. I'm talking about simple things like being able, again, being able to find a doctor, right? How do I know yeah. who the best doctor is that I can go to? How do I know how much is going to cost before I get there? 
how do I know what to expect? Like just having claims adjudicated, we seem to waste all this time and money trying to figure out like what claims should be paid and not paid. Why can't we just know that ahead of time? Why isn't that clear ahead of time? And why aren't we working according to the rules that will ensure that we are, you know, that we're spending time delivering care? It's so complicated. I noticed that uh, in your educational background, you have both Mm -hmm. IT, but also business and MBA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so how does having a strong kind of business framework or background Mm. and perspective help you develop systems for a large healthcare system? Yeah. um, I, I find myself always being more attracted to the value of the solution that we're building and how it helps, you know, our consumers in the data analytics space is like information. Like if we create, spend time talking about something really basic, creating a dashboard, Hmm. how, and and the dashboard is about monitoring. Okay. Well, let's pick something mundane, like how, how, how quickly claims are being paid, um, which can be a problem. Obviously, Uh, if we're monitoring something like that and we're spending time building a dashboard and you can spend time creating the greatest, most sophisticated, technologically advanced data and analytics solution, which gets the data over to the consumers really, really fast. But at the end of the day, if they're not being able to use that information to make a change in how the business is being run and it's not easy to use. Um, easy to as easy to use as picking up your phone, your iPhone, right, and finding right, an right. app and doing something with it. Then I think we've kind of missed the point. So right. I find myself always being drawn to that part. Like, how is the solution going to be used, and does it provide value? Versus thinking about like what's the greatest technology that we can yeah. use to solve this problem, and is it the most efficient way of solving the problem? And can we look at all the different bills and whistles where all the architects and programmers get excited? I, I, you know, I love that stuff. But what I love more is have we made an impact? Have we yes. made an impact to the, to, to the final end user of, of our products and solutions? Yeah. So I think that's where the business background comes in. And, and maybe one way to think about it is, like, if I build this thing, whatever that thing is, a data product or an analytics product, and I went out on the market and tried to sell it, would right. people pay for it? Would people actually pay for what I'm selling? Yeah, that's a beautiful insight. So when mm-hmm. and why did NYC H&H start its relationship with Snowflake? Yeah, I, th- I think it was around the 2019 timeframe. Again, I wasn't here yeah. uh, at that time, yeah. uh, but uh, it's kind of started all as part of the three-year strategy um, that, the, that our CDO had started. And um, the reason that it, we, we looked at Snowflake, I mean, now having used it and, and yeah. building products on it, I can tell you that, you know, compared to other previous uh, systems that, uh, you know, I have per- previously developed on like, you know, Oracle and Microsoft and things like that, not necessarily Brad systems, they've been around for a very long time. And everyone's on the cloud now, everyone's got a cloud version of this. Yes. But I, but I think where Snowflake has made an impact is, or and and what we what we really um, expected to leverage more than anything else was things like data sharing right. and uh, ease of use in implementing security. 
So because of all those factors about trying to figure out and choose a system that would be you know, scalable and flexible and efficient and uh, lower the amount of administrative burden on DBAs having to manage things on their own, um, you know, we wanted to pick something that would give us that, you know, the greatest level of flexibility and automation in, yeah. in continuing to build out and bring in more data to the platform. Yeah, it's interesting. To, I mean, you talk mainly about the platform attributes that you're using in your hub, and mm -hmm. I can see how all of those are very valuable. What are the coolest applications you're building on top of Snowflake? Talk about a couple of those. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're still early in our journey. And, um, you know, what we have running against Snowflake, I'll tell you what we have right now, mm -hmm. is uh, we've got enterprise dashboards uh, running right. on tools like uh, Tableau. Um, we also have these data sharing capabilities that we've created so that when we have a, a piece of data or a repository of data that we know uh, we want to send to a partner, like for example, like we work with different physician groups and the physician groups want to know uh, how are we doing with our patients and you know what sort of claims are coming in for those patients. We can actually take that database and give that external group access to that database and only that database uh, without having right. to, you know, go through the previous process, which are, we would have been, which would have involved extracting data, and then sending it out. We're talking about large files. We're talking about FTP technology to transfer the data, all that stuff. And then on the other side, the way that we send the information probably wouldn't match exactly how that needs to be consumed on the external partner side, mm -hmm. and they would have to they would have to spend time and energy and effort translating it back into how their system can consume it. Instead, we're saying. Hey, we know you need this data. Why don't you just access our information and be able to be able to operate on it on a read-only basis? And you run the analytics and do the different, uh, you know, lo look at the different things you need directly within that data without us having to physically ship it back and forth. So mm -hmm. I think that's a huge capability that we've opened up. I think we have a long way to go, frankly speaking, on that front. Um, and then some of the other capabilities are. That, that we we're, we're just starting to build is more around the real-time collection of information. Okay. So so right now, a lot of it is batch processes coming from our operational systems. Uh, but obviously, Snowflake has a way to, um, you know, we can land data as quickly as possible, but it, that's not a Snowflake thing. That's more about what are the tools and technologies that we have for streaming data into the platform. Right. So we're working, gotcha. on, we're working on all those different things. Yeah, yeah. So what's the ultimate goal for using the Snowflake Data Cloud? Um, deliver data, the right data, at the right time, in the right way to the right people. Right. Um, and that has a lot of different meanings, right? So, you know, previously, a lot of data and analytics teams just used to work on enterprise data warehouses. Build us an enterprise data warehouse, then let, you know, then let reporting teams have at it and build all these dashboards, reports, analytics, etc. But now we know that that's not enough. Like it has to be fit for a purpose. Again, I, I take you back to the way we started the conversation. There's executives that just need data for decision making. There's data champions that need to get the data for to do different things. And we can't we can't think up all those scenarios. But we have to make sure that they can access the information easily. Uh, they have to be able to know, like when you go to the library, like how do you know what books are in the library? How do you know 
like what categories of inf- books are there. You have to have a way of finding that information, which is through right. a data catalog. So we're providing an ability to find uh, the most important information in the enterprise through this one repository and make it searchable, make it understandable, and also easily usable for the different parties that need it, but in a controlled environment yes. so that they know that they can, you know, they don't have to deal with duplicates in the diff- uh, data. They don't have to deal with missing information. They don't want to have to build, deal with, uh, uh, you know, bad values in the, in the data and so on. So, so we create these different components. You've got the curated data layer, which is for research and exploration. We've got the data sharing and data exchange capabilities. And then finally, we also have the um, uh, ability to run machine learning models on our data, and we can create repositories that are specific to that. So again, you know, different data, but it's got to be the right data for the right people at the right time in the right way. So. Yeah, that's a, that's well well said. Great explanation of of how you see things going and you know it occurs to me when I when I hear you describe how you're using the Snowflake Data Cloud, it really has to be capable, it has to be flexible, it has to be robust enough to to evolve cuz your needs are going to evolve. So it has to be able to evolve. You don't have to like rebuild the platform again. You want to just mm-hmm. build new apps on top of it. Is that an essential part right. of the strategy here? Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't know necessarily, you know, how, you know, what we're going to need five years from now. Right. Right. I don't think anyone knows. No, but no. what we do know is that we, again, we have to be able to do it fast, like get data fast. Like if information gets stale, there's no purpose. There's no use yeah. for it. Right. Looking at data from like three months ago, six months ago can only you know inform us from looking in the rear view mirror now we're looking more and more predictive capabilities and it's all based on like what can we do with information right now so we have to be able to do do that i think uh there's a lot of different applications that we built uh at new york city health and hospitals for for various purposes like um, an application for housing an application for um, you know, uh, providing, uh, uh, you know, co- you know, when COVID was, COVID was hitting us, like all of this data around where can you get vaccinations and what vaccinations are being delivered and what, ca- what providers, what providers are, are providing what services and things like that. So we can build an application and track that application. And we can look at building those things on the enterprise data platform itself. Uh, yeah. So they don't all have to be separate and right. uh, sort of, um, all over the place. Like, how can we how can we use this truly as a platform and not just as one singular database? So, so right. those are the things that we're looking for out of this yeah. out of this uh, out of this system or this technology. Yeah, no, that's great. Hey, I want to mm-hmm. go general for a little while here. Looking out over the next year or so, what do you expect to be the major trends in data management and analytics, kind of like in your industry, but even beyond your industry? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I think I, I think the hot topic that everyone already knows about today is AI and generative AI, uh, and I think that is really going to be a key focus for you know not just data and analytics organizations, but all types of organizations. Basically, the way that I think about it is that a human that's using AI is always going to be more successful than a human that doesn't leverage AI. It's kind of right. like, 
if we went to, you know, if you had the choice of going to an accountant and one accountant is really, really smart and, and uh, you know, he's a brilliant mathematician, he can do things in his head and all that sort of stuff, but he doesn't use a calculator. And then you go to another, another person that is equally good, but also uses a calculator and, you know, accounting software, you know, that second person is going to be much more efficient than the first person just because we're being augmented by technology. So we've got to figure out as leaders, and I, I'll talk about this from a leadership standpoint, how do we take advantage of all these new and emerging technologies? And using generative AI as an example, like we know that it can basically produce code, right? Is it the mm -hmm. best code? Right. No, necessarily. But that's where the programming part comes in. Like you have to be a skilled user that already knows how to program in order to be able to look at it and say, you know, that's not the best code, but you know, something that from scratch, it would have taken me five hours to build. And now I can, you know, just get the template in like literally five minutes and I can improve on it. And so my overall time to delivery is like, yeah. instead of five hours or five days, it's like literally an hour. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that? So I think there's going to be a huge focus on that. Education is huge. Literacy is huge. Uh, and, uh, you know, if organizations don't build literacy programs to understand how to take advantage of these new technologies and we just leave it to our, you know, staff to figure it out for, for themselves, I think that's a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I see. You know, I've been writing about the, the tech industry for many, many years and, and, and mm -hmm. the business and, and technology and, you know, Personal digital assistants, PDAs, was a was mm. a big buzzword in the early 1990s, and it was this idea of oh, you have this digital assistant who can help you in kind of all these dimensions, mm -hmm. but it didn't anticipate AI as an element. Mm. But now mm -hmm. every individual in their private life and in their specific role in their professional life can have a PDA, which. Yes has access, can, can synthesize all the information in the world, could do math really fast, you know, can do, you know, could really help in, in, in a wide dimension of ways, but presented as a consumer device, as a consumer of information device. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you know, I could imagine the kinds of things that you're planning on doing with these things for all of those consumers in your organization. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think the possibilities are mind blowing. Uh, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's exciting to think about it. It's just like um, you know, at your fingertips. It's like it's like Jarvis out of Iron Man, right? You yeah. you <laughs> you are you are ultimately the decision maker, but you don't have to be the person that spends the time figuring out how to put all the information together and build all the right things that you need, yeah. but rather it's about having the, this personal digital, digital assist, uh, assistant giving you the best options, telling yeah. you their recommendation, but as a human, as a decision maker, we can override them. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think like from a, from a executive standpoint, it's like it's too much information out there. So how, yeah. Yeah. What should I focus on? Like, what should I really focus on? That's the most important thing for me to focus on today. Like from a healthcare perspective, like, yeah, I think we all kind of know, like eating 
let's say Big Macs every single day is going to be bad for us and having soda is going to be bad for us. But even if we do it once in a while, based on my specific lifestyle, maybe, you know, it, you know, there's like Fitbits and all these devices, it, it should be able to tell me, hey, Sharan, you know, you know, you're generally healthy and you work out and all this stuff, but recently what you've been having and based on the fact that you're getting older, maybe you should tone it down on having this, you know, sweets, like, you know, three times a week, even though when you were 20 years old, that was okay, right? Things like that. What is that personalized decision and recommendation engine yeah, that yeah. tells you what to do at any point in time? I think that's, yeah, that, that's the promise. That's beautiful. You know, I saw an ad yesterday. They were saying, you can get the largest burger in the world plus 10 chicken pieces, all for a discount price. It was like, oh my God, you know. That's another element of, of, of our health problem, but we, we won't get into that. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? We're talking about how things are changing so fast in AI these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, the last six months have been like a whirlwind. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. looking at, I mean, it makes it even harder to look ahead, but I'm going to ask you anyway, uh, mm. put on your visionary cap. Hmm. Look out for five years or more, if that's possible. How do you expect data analytics to change healthcare and even society? What do you see the potential? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the sky's the limit. Really, I think uh, uh, during COVID we had unprecedented advances to how quickly a vaccine could be created, and yeah. behind the scenes there was a lot of AI models informing that um, discovery uh, you know what if what if we could find the breakthrough advances to cancer solving cancer solving diabetes solving uh, you know chronic uh, you know health conditions like kidney disease and uh, heart issues um, and just being able to completely eradicate those things now is that going to happen in five years no, 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 I, no idea, no idea. But the process of getting there has just been vastly accelerated right. because now it's not just human beings trying to solve the problems on their own on vast amounts of data, more and more data coming from, you know, from, uh, you know, uh, being able to map the complete human genome, uh, but yes, also sure. being able to take into account all the different factors that, that affect that human genome is the lifestyle factors. And, but how do we make sense of that to come up with personalized medicine and personalized recommendations? Then it's things like, like the gene editing technologies like CRISPR, like yeah. you can actually edit out faulty genes so that a disease that you would otherwise get for sure, because your parents had it, like you can just completely get rid of it. But what are the implications for the species? If you do that, yes. like what are the unintended yes. consequences? We can't even think about that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's something that I think will be vastly sped up. And I think we're going to see yeah. technologies like that. There's other things like if people lose their vision, like, can we now put in bioengineering devices? Yeah. You know, Elon Musk yeah. talked about the Neuralink chimp. Like, can we have brain function restored that helps a person, you know, to get their vision restored? Uh, I think yeah. I saw on LinkedIn the other day. Someone that never that hadn't been able to walk due to a car accident because they they lost 
the communication between the their brain and the spinal interface now with a with a new device implanted between you know uh, you know that creates that link they can actually think of moving their legs and they're able to do it now right yeah. so i so saw that that is yeah yeah all that is absolutely fantastic yeah absolutely uh mind yeah stuff. yeah i mean i think this this whole idea of unintended consequences is going to be another element just like you said because we humans as individuals even well armed with information have a very hard time anticipating unintended consequences mm -hmm. but with ai you can actually get this systemic view and and understand where the threads go and where they might cause problems so that'll be really interesting yeah i th I, th I think you know the cautionary note there is how do we trust that these yeah. recommendations or these discoveries, let's say it came out with a new drug. Yeah, so we have all these checks and balances that say, yeah, this drug has th these effects. And we think that if we take it in these, um, uh, you know, like, 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 like it's being prescribed in these dosages yeah. over these frequencies and things like that will be okay. But do we really know? And we are continuing, we're, we're continuing to have to trust more and more um, the the information and sort of the precautions and the side effects and all of that provided to us by scientists. And what my worry is like with AI, it's so complex, so complicated. And I think there's going to be less and less probably people that understand the guts of how all this works. So if we don't understand the guts of how all this works, how do we know for sure that we should just accept that decision or that recommendation that the AI is providing? How do we know? You've got to be able to audit the the logic train. That's excellent. Well, this has been a great conversation. I just, I, I reflect back on, you know, when you talked about the strategy that you guys are going into, you know, with the three pillars, you know, data integrity, meeting the customer's needs and education, you know, data literacy for for essentially your customers. I think those are really fundamental principles that organizations should adopt and and sometimes don't i mean especially meeting customers needs and okay. and also the, the proper data literacy preparations so it's really glad i think that's good advice for anybody who's listening but mm -hmm. even beyond that you, you said you're an optimist and i'm glad to hear that and and you have made me more optimistic today because <laughs> i look at some of these issues in in healthcare well in society more broadly and sometimes mm -hmm. they just look insolvable, and I despair. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really feel like you've you've told me some things that made me feel a bit better about the prospects of, of getting this right again. It's better for all, you know, all, it's, it's society. It's a large number of individuals. So thanks for cheering me up. Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to you know share my thoughts, and I appreciate you having me on this uh, on this podcast, Steve. And the last thing that I'll, um, you know, leave you guys with is that, uh, it, just like you said, it's the foundation. Those three pillars are the foundation, uh, but we really cannot stop there, and we we won't. So lately, we've had a lot of conversations, and we're building into our strategy that we have to focus on that part, which is what is the impact of all this data and insights, and then how is it actually translating into healthcare improvements, quantifiable. 
We're data right. people, right? So we should be able to quantify. Now, it's not always easy, but we have to make that part of our strategic priority that we have to be able to quantify the value and we have to focus on things that will drive the greatest value. So that's, that's an evolving part of our strategy. But without yeah. those three, three foundational pillars, we couldn't have done it. Yeah. No, that's, that's great guidance as well. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. How you approach data will define what's possible for your organization. Data engineers, data scientists, application developers, and a host of other data professionals who depend on the Snowflake Data Cloud continue to thrive thanks to a decade of technology breakthroughs. But that journey is only the beginning. Catch up on all the latest announcements from Snowflake Summit, including advancements with generative AI and LLMs, flexible programmability, application development, and much more. Watch now at snowflake.com slash summit slash livestream.